Would you please open your Bibles to Psalm 117? Psalm 117. And I truly felt like a Pentecostal pastor this week. I was going in one direction with the sermon, and I felt compelled to change the subject. In light of a new year, and looking back uh, the past year, I was overwhelmed by God's grace and kindness towards us. I was truly overwhelmed. And it would be wrong for me to not stop and start this year thanking the Lord for last year. And as we together remember His goodness, that we will strengthen us for the future ahead of us. So that's why I decided to go to Psalm 117 and behold the duty we have to praise Him for His loving kindness towards us. So I want to just ask you this week to go back and either get the notes or watch the sermon, at least the two last sermons from the series on the overview of the Bible so you are ready when you come next Lord's Day. So you can just continue through the covenants. So would you please stand? And last, last night when I was reading and talking about this text with the kids, and I said that that was the shortest psalm, Lily, with her sarcasm, said, so it's going to be a short sermon, right, Daddy? They're like, you know, you little booger. Here's the word of the Lord, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, Father, how lovely is Your dwelling place. To be inside the tents of Jacob, dwelling with the true Israel, Jesus Christ and His people. Thank you for this time together, and I pray that your Holy Spirit be guiding my words. I pray that your Holy Spirit be empowering the congregation to listen well. We all have responsibilities here, so help me to be faithful, help the congregation to be faithful. And we pray that you'd be exalted. That's the purpose. That you'd feed us with your word so that we may serve you and praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Who here likes boxing? Boxing matches. Okay, good. At least we have one honest man here. Okay, another one there. There is a, a professional boxer named Tremaine Williams. And he's a fantastical, fantastic boxer. He has a, a, a brilliant record. He has 19 victories, only one loss. And as you think about this boxer, Tremaine Williams, often we are tempted to think as... A man like Evander Holyfield, big, strong, George Foreman, (laughs) Muhammad Ali, 
Drago from Rocky Four. But what's fascinating about this boxer is that he's only 5'4". He's only 5'4", and because of his stature, he was nicknamed the Mighty Midget. That's his nickname. Tremaine the Mighty Midget Williams. And I was thinking about Psalm 117. That is the Mighty Midget of the Psalms. Extremely short, extremely small, but very potent and powerful. So, here we come to Psalm 117, the shortest one. I just want to bring all of us into the book of the Psalms, and that's important for you to remember that the book of Psalms is structured within five books. You have five books inside the book of Psalms. So, as people are putting the, the scriptures together, the inspired writings together, you have this men who would put the scriptures in a way that would be fitting. That's why we start with the Torah, the first five books. There is, a, a, there is coherence, there is a, a reasoning behind the location of the books and even inside the books itself. So you have five books inside the book of Psalm and that would be similar to what section of the Old Testament? What section has five books? The Torah. Yes, and that emphasizes the, the primary importance of the Psalms is the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. It's to instruct us. And when you come to book 5, that's where Psalm 117 is. This book 5 of the Psalm, the last portion where you have Psalms 107 to 150, this portion is marked by hope calling God's people to praise Him. So, for example, Thomas Reiner, he writes, the fifth book of the Psalms is marked by praise, by the call to praise Yahweh. The first four books end with a doxology. But book five ends with five that are doxological. For Israel can be assured that Yahweh will answer their prayers, save them, and fulfill His covenant promise towards them. So that's how book 5, that's where Psalm 117 is. Just so you can structure yourself inside the book of the Psalms. And then inside this book 5, you also have some other subgroups. And these groups, some of them are called the Hallel, the Hallel Psalms. From Hallelujah. And Psalm 117, it is in this subgroup that covers Psalm 113 through 118. So 113 through 118 is called the Egyptian Hallel. That's called the Egyptian Hallel. Why? Because they would be singing the Psalms during the Passover to celebrate their deliverance in the past and create hope for the deliverance that is to come promised by the prophets of God. So that's where we are. They would be singing the Psalms during the Passover. Then Grammar, he writes, the Hallel Psalms are found in three separate collections. So you have the Egyptian Hallel, 113 through 118, the Great Hallel, 120 through 136, and the concluding Hallel Psalms, 146 to 150. The Hallel Psalms had a significant part in the praise, Hallel, 
of the Lord. The Egyptian Hallel and the Great Hallel, most of which are pilgrim songs, were sung during the annual feasts. The Egyptian Hallel Psalms receive a special place in the, in the Passover liturgy, as 113 through 114 were recited or sung before, and 115 through 118 after the festive meal. The concluding Hallel, Psalm 146 through 150, were incorporated to the daily prayers in the synagogue after the destruction of the temple. So, this collection of psalms were sung especially during the Passover, where we are here in Psalm 117. And just to bring some understanding of 117, you can see Psalm 117 comes before what? That's a very hard question. 117 comes before what? 118. That's the, the final, right? Therefore, it's kind of like a prelude to the last and final Hallel Psalm here. This psalm is the shortest psalm in the Psalter. So Psalm 119 is almost a hundred times longer than Psalm 117. Psalm 119 has 126 verses, while Psalm 117 has only two verses. I like what Spurgeon says. He says that the same divine spirit which writes at length, expatiate, in the 119th Psalm here condenses his utterance into two short verses. But the same infinite fullness is present and perceptible. That's beautiful how he puts here. Another scholar, James Mace, he writes the following about Psalm 117. This is the littlest psalm of all, but he thinks on a grand scale. The little hymn has hardly graduated from the class of the one word, Hallelujah but it takes a giant step in its development. A worship that includes the world's population is envisioned here. The nations and their many peoples are called to praise the Lord. So this is the shortest psalm, but has the longest arms because it embraces the whole world calling to worship Yahweh. This brief psalm contains the heart of the gospel. And what is the heart of the gospel? God's covenantal presence with His people from every nation, tribe, and language. The author is anonymous, the setting is unknown, but the message is loud and clear. Let all the nations praise the Lord. That's the message of Psalm 117. And it's very possible that Jesus sung this psalm as He was heading to the Garden of Gethsemane to become the Passover lamb. So, here's the outline we're going to see. It's, that's basically how the, the hymns, that's a hymn of praise. That's how it's labeled as you study the Psalms. It's a hymn of praise. And usually the hymns of praise are very simple. They structure. There is a call to praise and usually there is a reason or a cause for praising the Lord. So that's what we're going to see. The call to praise the, call, the cause for praise and then the crescendo of praise. So let's go to verse 1. The call to praise. And you see there is a Hebrew parallelism here. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. 
So the psalm opens with a command. A command, it's an order coming from the king for all the nations to uh, praise. Praise the Lord. The verb praise, the Hebrew halal, that's where we have halal, hallelujah. What is hallelujah? Yes, praise Yahweh, halal, yah. Hallelujah, praise Yahweh. To boast, that's the meaning. One, one dictionary says that is related to being sincerely and deeply thankful for or satisfied in lauding a superior quality or great or the great acts of the object. It means that you are fully enjoying, satisfied with the object of your praise, of your boasting. The other verb that we have here besides the praise is extol. The ESV has extol. Shavach means to glorify, to extol, laud. Make exuberant statements as to the excellency of someone. One scholar notes that in the majority of the cases, it's used to praise God for His mighty acts and deeds. So praising and extolling speak of using our voices, raising our voices, so that others can hear the object of our affection and praise. It shows our affection. Praising, extolling shows our emotions. And there are some people that you think that they have no emotions, right? There are some people that you think that this person has no feelings. This person has no affections. It's hard as a rock. But the truth is we all have affections. We all have feelings. And the truth is also that people always praise what excites them. Just listen how people talk about a movie. Oh, you've got to see that movie. It's amazing. You're praising the movie. They excited you. How people talk about their children or grandchildren. Art, music, sports. Different places around the world where they went. Cars, hobbies, spouses. Whatever excites you, whatever has your affection, we will inevitably receive your praise. So when you come to church or at home and you don't feel like praising the Lord, guess what? You're in sin because the Lord's not controlling our affections. He's not in charge of your affections. Your praises are like a thermometer of your affections to Jesus. You know a thermometer that you put under your armpit to see your fever? <laughs> Just like the praises. Shows how your affections towards the Lord are. Jonathan Edwards, he wrote, I should think myself in the way of my duty as a pastor to raise the affections of my listeners as high as possibly I can. Then you're going to say, wait a second, that sounds just like the church on the other side of the street, that it's all about emotions. But see how he finishes his statement. He says, I should think myself in the way of my duty 
to raise the affections of my church as high as possibly I can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth and the truth of Christ Jesus. Where the praises and exaltation of God are lacking, the problem is not with the lights, the instruments, the music team, but the problem is where? In the heart. In the heart. And that's why the psalmist, often he says what? Bless the Lord, what? Oh, my soul. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why is he talking to his soul? Because he knows that his soul has experienced the truth of the mercy, forgiveness, and grace of God. So he's realigning that with the truth. C.S. Lewis said, I, th I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. You got it right on target. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Because when you experience something really good, really wonderful, what do you want to do? Tell others. And that completes the enjoyment. Amen? 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are saved to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And when we don't praise the Lord, we are robbing Him of the thankfulness, the gratitude that He deserves. And guess what? Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 1. And he says that those who did not thank the Lord, those who did not praise the Lord, became what? Look at our society. It says they become fools, morons, stupid people. And just look at our society, a society that robs God of praise and gratitude. Those who were forgiven much, love much, and those who love much will do what? Praise much. Yes. Those who are forgiven much, that's what Jesus says, they love much. And those who love much do what? They praise much. Amen? But look how he says, Praise the Lord. Let me see if I have right here. Yes. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. And that's kind of shocking. Because you'd be expecting Him, especially here in this Egyptian Hallel, to call who to praise the Lord? Israel. The house of Jacob. The family of Aaron to praise the Lord. But actually, he doesn't do that. He calls all the nations to praise the Lord. And that's very shocking. You'd not be expecting that in the Egyptian Hallel. I thought that only the Jews were supposed to praise the Lord for that deliverance. And we forget that that deliverance, first of all, had Gentiles with them. And that deliverance was for Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. When, we, when I was learning English, I, I was shocked to come to the Bible and see peoples. Because I, I, I always thought that you have just person and people. You have one person, then two people. Right? And then I hear, come to the Bible and see peoples. 
I'll get a wrong in English grammar for that. And I probably got it in school. And what does he mean? So he's talking about nations. That's a broader. The nations. And then the peoples mean the people, the group of peoples. People groups that you have within the nations. James Boyce says, Together the words nation and people embrace all people from everywhere. Precisely the sense that is in Revelation 7-9 where John speaks of a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. So imagine here you're reading as a Jew under the Old Covenant and you're reading the psalm and he calls all the nations and all the peoples to come and praise Yahweh. And that includes the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians. Their worst enemies. People from Tyre, Edomites, Philistines. And he's calling all of them to come and join their voices and praise Yahweh and extol Him. So this psalm goes to the heart of God's plan of redemption. The Lord has always had a universal plan of redemption. Isn't fascinating that the Bible does not start with Israel? The Bible does not start with Israel. The Bible starts with what? Humanity in general. And God's plan has always been people from all over the world. When God called Abraham, He called Abraham promising that his seed would bless the nations. So in Genesis 22 says, And your seed, Abraham, shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be what? Be blessed. All the nations, going, the Gentiles, they will be blessed by your seed. And then when God calls the nation of Israel, and makes a covenant with them, he calls them a kingdom of priests. And they are supposed to show the glory of Yahweh and the beauty of the Torah to the nations around. So the nations around will say, what God is like that? And Jesus comes as the light to the Gentiles. So Yahweh is a God who reigns from on high. He's the king of the universe and he deserves universal praise. Amen? And it's beautiful how Paul, if you go to Romans, I'm not going to go here, but you can go home and read Romans chapter 15 and see how Paul quotes Psalm 117, referring to the, now to the Gentiles and the psalm being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So this is a mission-centered psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. But the question is, how will, how will the nations praise Yahweh? How will the nations extol the Lord whom they have not heard? Because they need to, they need to hear to believe. Do you remember Paul's argument in Romans chapter 10? And how will they hear without, without someone what? Preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are what? Sent. Do you see the missions behind the psalm? Therefore, this call 
for the nations and the whole world to praise Yahweh is a missionary call. And it's beautiful because it's very inclusive. Right? We live in a time where it's all about being inclusive. We need to be more inclusive. This psalm is profoundly inclusive. There is no discrimination of nationality, ethnicity, or background. But at the same time, it's deeply exclusive. Because they are to come and worship Him. Praise whom? Yahweh. They cannot come and bring their gods. You come and you praise Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? But the self-sufficient, the all-eternal God of the Exodus. The only one who has the power to deliver the nations from the exile. From God's wrath. So it's very exclusive. People cannot come to worship the Lord holding to their idols. He will not accept the praise of those who keep serving other gods. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, money, security, comfort, family, career, status. All these idols must be put away in order for them to come and praise Him. Amen? So, let's move to the cause. The cause for praise. And that's verse 2. And there is a chiastic structure that says, Great towards us is His chesed, His Love, his loving kindness. And then right below is and the Lord's faithfulness, his emet in Hebrew. His faithfulness is forever. That's how it's structured here. And there is a, a, a powerful combination of the ESV has uh, love and faithfulness. The Hebrew is chesed emet. Who here? does not know about the word hesed in Hebrew. Anybody here does not know about the word hesed in Hebrew? When, when we went through Ruth, we talked a lot about hesed. So there is a, a combination of hesed and emet together. And that's, that's the mark of God's covenantal character, love and faithfulness. The faithfulness there, emet, means reliability, trustworthiness, a state or condition of being dependable and loyal to a person or a standard. It's from Emet that we have Amen. See the root there? Amen. Amen. And that's what Amen or Amen, as we say, means. Something reliable, trustworthy. It carries the underlying sense of certainty, dependability. These two words together, love and faithfulness or truth, truthfulness, capture the covenantal nature of our God. So Gentry and Wellam, they say, at the heart of the covenant, then is a relationship between par parties characterized by faithfulness and loyalty in love. Not only between God and man, but in marriage. That's what characterizes a, a, a marriage covenant. That's what marks a marriage covenant. Chesed and emet. Loving kindness, grace, love, and faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness. 
It says, at the heart of the covenant then is a relationship between parties characterized by faithfulness and loyalty and love. In the Old Testament, there is a word pair which is consistently used to express this, hesed and emet. So, for example, we see this in Genesis 47, and we see between two human parties. Remember that the family has a covenantal aspect, especially in the Old Testament. So in Genesis 47, we read, When the time drew near, when the time drew near for Israel to die, that's Jacob, Israel, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If you have found favor, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my, th- my thigh and promise that you show me kindness and what? Faithfulness. The Hebrew word is chesed and emet. Love and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say. Gentry and Wellam, they say, there is a covenantal relationship between father and son, since family relationships are covenantal in the Old Testament. There is an obligation on the part of the stronger party, Joseph, to help the weaker party, Jacob. The fulfillment of this obligation is referred to as showing hesed and emet, faithful, loyal love. That's the character of our God, love and faithfulness. So, right after the Lord cuts a covenant with Israel, Israel breaks the covenant. Remember in Exodus 32, and then the Lord renews His covenant and He reveals His name. So in Exodus 34, we read, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, is low to anger and abounding in what? Abounding in what? Hesed and emet. Love and faithfulness. Loving kindness and truthfulness. When the Apostle John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Full of what? Grace and truth. Oftentimes, grace is a reference to Hesed. It's the same pair he's using right here. But now in Greek, Hesed emet. And then he goes on to say, For the Torah... We translate law, but it's, it's just bad. The Torah was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. He's not saying that there, is, there was no grace and there was no truth in the Old Testament. He's saying that now that Jesus came, He's the embodiment of that covenantal God that the Torah that Moses gave was speaking of. Here is Jesus the embodiment, the reflection of the covenantal heart of God. So that's why he talks about Jesus as full of what? Grace and truth, Hesed and Emet. These two, qual- these two attributes that reveal the covenantal character of our God are frequently des- described through the Psalms. So here's just some examples, and you can go home and try to find more. So Psalm 36, 5, Your Hesed, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven and your what? Emet, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 40, 11, 
your hesed, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Psalm 57, 3, God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. Psalm 85, 10, His steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Psalm 89, 14, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your hesed and your emet. Just some examples here. So when you come to Psalm 117, that's a summary of the entire psalm. The entire book of the psalm can be summarized with Psalm 117. When a scholar said that Psalm 117 is like a dissertation abstract. And if you know what a dissertation abstract is, is you've got to condense all those 300 and something pages of your dissertation into one sentence. And that's what Psalm 117 is. It's the dissertation abstract for the whole book of the Psalms. It's summarized not just in a, in a very few words, all the laments, all the hymns, all the songs of thanksgiving in, the, in Israel's hymnal. The Lord is worthy of worship of His people because He demonstrates faithful, loyal love in the covenantal relationship. Amen? And to move quickly... He says, for great is His steadfast love towards us. And I have some different translations just to see how hard it is to translate the, the word hesed. So for example, the NIV has love. The New Living Translate, Translation has unfailing love. The King James Version has merciful kindness. The NAS has mercy. The newer NAS has loving kindness. The Net Bible has loyal love. The Holman Christian Standard Bible has faithful love. So you see how hard it is to translate this Hebrew word hesed. And it's hard because there is not one English word that can cover that. You can see how hesed is a Hebrew word that no one English word can begin to convey accurately all they has. Being expressive of relationships, the term connotes altogether the, no the notions of covenantal loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, grace, mercy, love, and compassion. In one word. So you get all these things. Love, faithfulness, grace, mercy. Put in the blender, blend together. Put in the oven. And you come with chesed. Beautiful. That's why I think sometimes it's better just to keep the transliteration. Instead of trans trying to translate, we should just put chesed. And we should learn the language of the Bible. Because it's much richer than trying to put one-time love, one-time mercy, and we get all confused. Just put chesed there. And let us learn what it means. Amen? And then you have the other part. He says, for great, for great, that's the ESV. And now you can see also the other translations. And I think these translations are in a better track than the ESV. So, for example, the Lexham English Bible says, for his loyal love is mighty on our behalf. The New Living Translation has, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Amplified Bible has, for his loving kindness prevails over us. 
The Aramaic Bible in plain English has, because His grace has prevailed over us. And I think they get the sense of the word here, gavar, the Hebrew gavar. The Hebrew root is commonly, commonly associated with warfare and has to do with the strength and vitality of the successful warrior. It's a military word. It has a sense of prevailing, overpowering. So, for example, in, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 18, this word is used for the prevailing of the waters. As, as the Lord is in war with mankind and He sends the waters of chaos, those waters prevail over His enemies. The same word is used in Exodus chapter 17, verse 11, when Moses, remember Israel is fighting against the Am Amalekites, and what is happening there? Every time Moses has his arms what? up, Israel is prevailing. Same Hebrew word. What we have here is the thought of God's love prevailing over any obstacles or enemies. Martin Luther said, Therefore, although sin bites us, death frightens us, and the devil throw his weight around us with temptations, we have a conquering love coming from God that will defend, protect, and guard us. And I was thinking about this beautiful way of looking at the chesed as this military army coming to overtake us and surround us. That's not something strange because Paul, do you remember in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about the peace of God, what? Guarding. And he used a military word as a violent peace coming and taking hold of the church and guarding the church. It's very similar to what we see here with Hesed. It's this violent mercy coming, protecting us. Uh, Psalm 23, we, we read, Surely goodness and what? And we always say mercy, but it's Hesed. Surely goodness and Hesed will. We always talk, will follow me all the days of my life. But actually, the word is much stronger than follow me. Radap has a sense of pursuing, chasing after. So what we have here is the Hesed of the Lord as pictured as a mighty army pursuing His people and then in light of Psalm 117, overpowering us, prevailing in order that we may dwell in the presence of the Lord. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's why we must praise Him, because His chesed has prevailed over us. One scholar says, in this way, in this way with us, God's fidelity to His election and covenant has prevailed over our frailty and failure. His chesed has triumphed. The triumph of the Lord's fidelity to us is the truth about our future because the faithfulness of the Lord is, everla is everlasting truth about Him. Look at that. In His way with us, God's fidelity to His election and covenant has prevailed over our frailty and failure. 
And then he says, For prevailing, he has said, towards whom? Towards us. He just called the Gentiles, the nations to come, and now he's mixed with them. He's mixed with them. And he puts us. He doesn't say, let the nations, let the Gentiles praise him because God's has said has prevailed over them. No. Has prevailed over us. It's with us. His love has conquered me, has conquered you, and made us one. That's the hope of the psalm that we see fulfilled in home. In Jesus and the church. What we have right here. Right here. People from all different backgrounds united praising Him because He has said, has prevailed over us. I think it's awesome how He doesn't put them there and Him here. It's us. We're all together. What unites these people is not politics, personal preference, hobby, social or financial status, but the loyal and covenantal love of God showing the gospel. So Jesus most certainly sang this psalm 117 as he was heading to the cross during that Passover night, knowing that in him that would be fulfilled. And in him the nations would join their voices with God's people and praise Yahweh for his covenantal love. And then he finishes with the crescendo. And he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He begins and ends calling us to praise the Lord. And that's how our lives must be. That's how must be our day. We must begin our day praising the Lord. And must we finish the day praising the Lord. Amen? That's how our church services are. We begin and we end praising the Lord. That's how we finished last year. We had some people over and we sang to the Lord. We praised the Lord for His goodness and His faithfulness. And that's what he does here. The psalm comes to an end with a crescendo. As the author considers the love, the faithfulness of the Lord, the psalmist could not contain himself. He shouted, praise the Lord. His praise was personal, passionate, and potent. Very powerful. And we join our voices in singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I just want to finish before we move on with the Lord's Supper. By just bringing this psalm to us. Very personal. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great in power. Prevailing, He has said, towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And oh, how the covenantal, loyal love, reliability of His character overpowered us this past year. Think about last year and think about how much His chesed prevailed over us. Isn't that true? And I was thinking, despite the many battles, sufferings, pains that we had last year, serious sickness in this church, miscarriage, death of loved ones, the Hesed of our covenant-keeping God kept pursuing, hunting us down, and overpowering our weakness. The Lord gave us, that I counted, I, I could be wrong, seven new members. 
Todd, Stacia, Lourdes, Lee, Elizabeth, Ethan, Melissa, Jerry, McCall, anybody else that I don't know, you can tell me later. We had water baptism. He provided us with the great privilege of serving Him in Africa, despite all the obstacles. His loving kindness prevailed, and we saw a beautiful spiritual growth in this congregation. His chesed pursued us and caused us to grow in unity of conviction and in unity of affection. The Lord gave us different places to meet to worship Him. Despite, despite the financial threats, in His mercy, He provided for all our needs. In His grace, He gave us a little one, Jeremiah Paisno. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. And His covenantal and loyal love, reliability, faithfulness in the past caused us to stand strong in the present with the future ahead of us. I don't know about you, but I will not fear. I will not fear. Because I have a God who is abounding. Abounding. Overflowing in Hesed and Emet. Even if all our material possessions, all the freedoms that we have in this country are taken away from us this coming year, yet we have everything. We have everything. We have Christ. And if you don't believe that, you should stop singing that. You should repent and be saved because that's the gospel. If you have Christ, you have everything. So, as you come to a conclusion, Psalm 40:11 says, Your steadfast love, your hesed, and your emet will ever preserve me. Will ever preserve me. And Paul declares, here's Paul's explanation of all this that we have been seeing in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from what? The love of God. We have a problem, I think, because we go to Greek language and we try to, oh, that's the love, agape, and then you have the eros, the erotic, then you have phileo, uh, that's all different types. Of, I, I'm sorry, but if you go to the Bible, you don't find that. And a lot of times the agape is the same as the phileo. So when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He used agape and he used phileo for the same thing. It's love. Chesed is a better translation. Do you love me? Do you have a covenantal loving relationship with me, Peter? So, for example, the Bible uses agape for sensual, sinful love. So we are told that Absalom loved his sister, but that love is perverted with agape. So do you see, the Bible does not have this. That's a, that's a word fallacy that we use when you're doing exegetical fallacies. And I think it's better to look at what we are seeing here and see chesed. That's the root of the scriptures. Who shall separate us from the chesed of Christ? His covenantal loyalty, love, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, sword. No! And then what he says... Look at the preposition. What? Out of these things? What? In! In! 
That's very important, brothers and sisters. Not out of these things, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through Him who uh, has sated us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor, nor things in the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in no creation will be able to separate us from what? The Hesed and Emet of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being a God abounding in Hesed and Emet. Love, loving kindness, mercy, grace, and faithfulness, reliability. And you have proved yourself this past year to be so rich in kindness towards us. And we can do nothing but praise you. Extol your name. For you are beautiful. You are glorious. You are a covenant-keeping God. And even when we fail, your Hesed keeps pursuing us, chasing us down, hunting us, and then prevailing over us. Oh, how beautiful you are, Lord. How merciful you are. So help us. Help us to praise you this coming year. Because no matter what comes, it is well with our soul. You have saved us. We are yours. And we long, we long for a much better place. The consummation of all things. Engrave this truth in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.